Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Caitlin Brodnick. One of the posts was, do you want to lose 20 to 30 pounds this month? And I was like, always. <laughs> so... <laughs> That and more. But first, folks, if you don't already know, we have another business. It's called The Story Studio. That's where those of us who work on risk also teach classes of all kinds. Storytelling for performance, storytelling for business, storytelling for personal growth. And we do those custom tailored workshops. If you work with a team, you know, a uh, big business or, or a small organization, we have done wonderful workshops with Google, Pfizer, Citibank, American Express, NYU, Princeton University, Zendesk, USA Today. Some of those workshops were just plain fun. You know, we kept it very light. Some were laser focused on communicating about a particular initiative or a particular brand that that team was focused on. And some were a little bit more like, hey, let's really get to know one another better, sort of team building workshops. I'm not exaggerating to say that our workshops consistently get rave reviews. So you want to know more about the best way to dig into storytelling as a creative outlet or a career booster or a tool for self-actualization, go to it at thestorystudio.org. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Mozart behind me now, the overture to The Marriage of Figaro, which is going to come up in our very first story on today's episode. But before we get to the stories, I want to say we have a fantastic, a truly fantastic live show planned for April 21st in New York City. That is Thursday, April 21st, 9.30 p.m. Eastern at Caveat in Manhattan. We've got Sean Patton, Dylan Adler, Janice Matias, and Danny Faith Leonard. This is an incredible cast. Come on out on Thursday night. Then, in May, we're in Portland, Oregon. That's on May 6th. And then in Seattle, Washington, on May 7th. You can get tickets for any of these shows or the live streams of them at risk-show.com tour. 
Now, we're calling this week's episode On Our Own Terms. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Caitlin Brodnick, a story that she shared years ago when Risk was still at the People's Improv Theater. And if hearing about the craziness in the weight loss industry does not appeal to you, you you might want to skip that one. But we're going to start with a story that I shared at the last Risk Live show at Caveat in New York City. Here I am now with the story we call, How Does This Work? When I was seven, I loved my father's love of his hobbies and interests, right? And I remember there was a day, uh, we were at a barbecue, and it was all my dad's high school buddies, right? And their families. And this big drunken guy, I don't remember who it was, I just remember he was drunk. He said about my dad, he joked to everyone at the barbecue, he was like, Paul Allison! There's nothing Paul Allison loves more than football and opera. And everyone laughed. And seven-year-old me was like, oh, what? why are they laughing? I didn't understand like why that was an odd combo there. But what I did know was that every Saturday afternoon, live from the Met was on the radio and Dad, oh my God, this radio program for my dad was like a sacred institution. And when you consider that the first episode of Live from the Met was in 1910, it kind of is. But he would have to do chores on Saturdays. So what he would do is he'd have a radio blaring the opera upstairs, then one downstairs, then one in the backyard. And everyone, my mother especially, she'd be like, Paul? It's nice, but turn it down. And everyone else would kind of make themselves scarce. But I loved it. I loved the way that my dad would sometimes just like throw down a wrench or throw down the paintbrush or whatever and just start dancing around and conducting the music. And he would be like, listen to this, Kev. This is how Mozart shows us the humanity. Then he would teach me all about like how Figaro, for example, was this penniless guy who, who had to use his creativity to outwit the corrupt and horrible rich guy count and how much we can learn about life from that. So I loved it. I was always hanging out with dad, listening to the opera. My dad was always a little bit disappointed that mom was, you know, not quite an opera fan. So uh, he really didn't have someone to be a regular date to go to the real opera, you know, in person with. But I loved going to the opera with my dad right there in the kitchen through Live from the Met. And then there's football. Well, football, I noticed how much my dad loved that too. And I noticed how passionate he was when he would talk to all my brothers and how crazy into it they were. All the men and boys around me seemed obsessed with football. And all I noticed was that when it was on TV, they would scream at the people on TV. And when they were playing it outside, they would scream at each other. And it just kind of made me a little bit nervous, you know? But my brother Peter, I mean, he was 13 at the time. He's a loving father today, but my brother Peter was a bit of a bully when we were kids, right? And he was concerned about my disinterest in football. I remember one day he threw me to the ground and then stepped on my hair and then leaned over me, letting a big wad of spit start to fall out of his mouth toward my face so that I would have to yank my head out of the way and pull my hair out and then suck it back up and keep doing that to me. He was like, I'm toughening you up. Well, he started saying to mom, if Kevin doesn't start playing football, he's going to be a sissy. 
And to my brothers and sisters and me, he would, you know, if the parents weren't around, he'd use the word fag instead. So eventually it was decided that I would be on a football team. I don't remember consenting to this at all. But it was decided that uh, I should be on the second grade football team at the age of seven. Now here's the thing, second graders, they are small, right? Like the helmets are huge and so heavy on your head. Then you have to wear these like mouth guards that are like rubber all around your teeth, making it hard to breathe. And then you've got these like huge shoulder pads making your top heavy and you have to wear a fucking hard cup you know, like a stormtrooper bowl around your tiny little balls, right? I, I didn't like it. And all these things, you had to wear all these things because you were trying not to get all these parts of your body shattered by football, right? So I would go to these practices just kind of dreading and dreading and dreading and hoping that no one could see the dread behind the giant helmet and the mouth guard and everything. But I didn't say anything to any of these boys. I didn't really like you know, connect with them at all because I was so nervous. And all they were talking about is how, you know, some team on TV, you know, the other day or whatever, you know, murdered and slaughtered and destroyed the other team. And I just couldn't follow it. The, the, the thing of it is, I don't blame people for never having taught me how football works because I have ADHD, right? If I'm not interested in what you're saying, you will know. You, you will know immediately and you will stop trying to tell me about that thing. So no one had really bothered to get into the nitty gritty of how this game works. So for about two months, we're doing these practices and all we were doing was learning how to run into each other, body slam each other, throw each other on the ground and jump on top of each other, right? And I was always kind of like, oh, God, it's all so frightening. But I still didn't know what the overarching, like, how it worked. So we're getting to about the point where it's the last practice before the first game. And I was dreading this first game. But I thought, okay, surely, surely on this practice, they're going to sit us down and tell us how the fuck this game works. <laughs> But no, it was just yet another day of jumping on each other and knocking each other over and everything like that. And I was like, oh my God, I think that the coaches just assume that all these seven and eight year olds just kind of absorbed this stuff from the crib because they did, except for me. So I stayed after practice and I approached the coach, this huge man with huge hands who smelt like burnt coffee and salami and cigarettes. And I said, I have a question. He was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And he had to you know, wrap everything up, get everyone on their way. And finally he was like, okay, Allison, what is it? And I said, I, I, I don't know how the game works. And now he's kind of blinking. He's looking at me like, like he's trying to figure out what the fuck I even mean. And then it clicks and he gets out his yellow legal pad, right? And he's like, oh, okay. Kneels down next to me with his pad and starts drawing with a marker a rectangle and a bunch of X's on like the left side of the rectangle and a bunch of O's on the right side of the rectangle. And he says, okay, so the X's, those are all the players on our team. And the O's, those are all the players on the other team. And so what the X's have to do is they have to pass the ball and run with the ball to get through all that so that they can get across this last line on the opposite side of the rectangle. And, and whichever team crosses the opposite side with the ball the most, wins the game. And now I'm kind of blinking. Now I'm kind of looking at him like, oh, okay. And I, I just said, oh, okay, got it. And I walked home and I was like, I knew what I had to do. Because I was thinking to myself, 
oh my God, I didn't understand the marriage of Figaro when I was first listening to it. But then dad explained to me how the marriage of Figaro works, right? And it meant so much to me after all of that, right? This, this was no marriage of Figaro. (laughs) The whole point of this fucking game was to get a ball across a fucking line. Seven-year-old me was realizing there's nothing to this. So I went home to mom and dad and I said, listen, I want to quit football. I said, you know, I thought, you know, the way that dad loves opera so much, like, I thought that maybe because he loves this so much too, maybe I would come around, like I've started to come around on liking opera too, but you know, I don't know, it makes me nervous and I don't like it. And my dad said, well, you gave it a good shot and there's no reason to do it if you don't want to. And my mom said, absolutely. And Paul, maybe now you have a date to go to the opera with. (laughs) Thank you very much. infomercial as a before. (laughs) Here's the thing, guys. I love infomercials. I DVR'd Brazil butt lift. I just, I love how excited he is. That little guy, and he talks about all the different buttocks, and he, there's different shapes, and there's different muscles, and I just, there's so much joy behind an infomercial. There's so much change. I mean, I, I love reveals. I loved the swan when it was on. I love the biggest loser. If I could like reveal every morning, that would just be the best <laughs> life ever. I just, it's so exciting and there's so much built up. There's always a story. I can't get over it. So I was getting married. And ever since I was knew what weddings were and knew what a white dress was, I knew that that was like a very important reveal and that it was photographed and it was documented and your grandmother pridefully shows you all of her documents of her wedding and then your aunt shows you and then it was just a big deal in my Jewish household. And I would say things to myself like, well, I'll wait for that when I get married (laughs) for my wedding day, for my, you know, I'll I'll have like my eyebrows will be perfect eyebrows for my wedding day. Like it was all of this amazing excitement. So I was trolling Craigslist as an unemployed actress. And one of the posts was, do you want to lose 20 to 30 pounds this month? And I was like, always. (laughs) So... (laughs) I just clicked on it and I was like, what am I doing? Caitlin, what are you doing? And started reading and it sounded wonderful. It was a program you would join and they would mail the food to you and you could be a part of this program and then you would just report on it. And I was like, I know this is an infomercial. I've been practicing for this my whole life. I bought the ad slide when I was eight years old and I never looked back. So... I go and this, the audition is in this bizarre New York apartment, like on way Upper West Side. And it looks like a regular New York apartment, except you're changing like kind of in the kitchen and they have you change into shorts and a sports bra. And guys, I had seen enough infomercials. I knew what they wanted. So I like really got my fat out and like... (laughs) 
and like shrugged, like not the look you do the last looks in the mirror where you suck everything back. It was like all forward and I knew they wanted tears. So you, this, because, because they're going to use this in your testimony and then you're going to see the reveal. I was so excited. So all these other girls were there and they said to us, don't say that you're an actress. Do not say that you're not, they don't want actress. And I was like, okay, I'm not working. So I'm not an actress. We said, we did a confession to a video, like why we wanted to lose weight. And I was like, I'm a gold mine. I'm have a wedding. I want to impress my husband and show my family I can do it. And I got wrapped up in it. And you might say I cried. (laughs) If you watched it, I was crying. Um, And it just, it was, I was just all a part of it. And I I wanted to win. I wanted to win the infomercial competition. And I did. And they loved me. And they were like, you're going to be our little bride, our little bride story. And I was like, this is so great. This is so great. I couldn't get an audition. I couldn't get cast in anything for years. And now I have this chubby bride. So... I was so proud of myself, and I told my husband, I was like, this time I'm not going to mess up this diet. I was like, I'm not going to mess up this diet. I mess up all my diets. I do, I've done Weight Watchers so many times. I'll do South Beach, or I'll do Atkins, or I'll do, I'll lie to myself and say that I'm juicing and then also eat pizza. Like, I do a lot of diets. I'm like a champion dieter, and I really like to diet right before an event to really make myself go through with it, because otherwise I'll just eat frozen yogurt. I just, I don't, I really want to be skinny and hot and look really great and have, be one of those girls that can wear those bike shorts that are like up her ass and just walk around casually. Um, But I can't because I like eating things. So I, so I'm very excited and I'm telling my fiance and my sister, like, this is going to be different. I have to do this. We're going to get these free personal training sessions, basically. And as a group, I met all of these other people, and it turns out we're all actors. <laughs> you have Clown Guy, you have Confused Christian, and you have Nicki Minaj Girl, who was a riot. And then you have two girls in the back that were like kind of older ladies that looked the same. And I was like, they're going to see who can make it. <laughs> I knew I knew everything. I was so excited. Like, they were doppelgangers of everyone. I was, was There's only two black men, and they looked exactly the same. And I was like, great infomercial. Great job, you assholes. Um, it really pissed me off. So this was an infomercial company that had done a bunch of infomercials. They'd done a, a bunch of much before. And they had to sign a you know disclosure agreement. And we weren't allowed to tell anybody who we were working for. But I can give you some clues. Um, the I can say the person was a very intense lesbian who liked to yell at people. Her name rhymes with Gillian Geichels. Um, She adopted children with her partner, and she's crazy. (laughs) So we're all there, and we're really excited because we're going to meet Gillian Geichels eventually, and we want to be the biggest losers. And after like the one or two days we're working out, we're all starting our food because they deliver food to your house. So I was like, this is free. I have no money. So this is free working out, free food. I was so excited. As we were doing all this and we're doing our bizarre crunches and none of us had any muscle tone because we're comedians. <laughs> we, they tell us that if you don't fit the weigh-in on Monday, if you don't lose a certain amount of weight on Monday, the first week, you get cut from the program. And this is like the worst psychological thing you can do to an actor, an out-of-work actor. Be like, if you can't get thin enough in this amount of time, you're sliced. (laughs) And the thing is, is that we weren't getting paid for this, but we just became incredibly pathetic right away. And we all wanted to be a part of it. And so we're working out and we're like, how are you doing? Did you poop this morning? Oh, yeah. I've been taking laxatives. Great idea. So... The food that they mailed to us was all prepackaged food. Nothing was fresh, so they encouraged us to take laxatives. Then, as we're working out, I'm finding out one of the half-Asian girl, she has been having egg whites and spinach only. And so she's kind of cheating, and that's a little frustrating, but, you know, it's her journey. So, <laughs> so we're getting there, and we're getting there, and then... We have different weigh-ins, and there's the 30-day weigh-in, and the 60-day weigh-in, and the 90-day weigh-in, and I'm getting more and more and more anxious because 
I'm also planning a wedding. And if you've ever been around anybody planning a wedding, they're a mess. <laughs> so it was that plus this infomercial. And I was getting these incredibly personal emails from the line producer, the head producer, the fitness director who was like in charge of all of our moves that we did. And they were saying, Caitlin, you're the head of this program. You're, you're the head of the show. You can't mess this up. We're relying on you. The story is on you. Don't ruin this opportunity. And I was like, oh, this is terrible. Um, so as we're working out, I'm like, are you guys getting those emails? They're like, yeah, we're getting the emails that say like, you know, keep going. You can do it. We have faith in you. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> those are very different. And um, I was going away for my honeymoon. And the group, the producers gave me a box set of DVDs from her last infomercial, a yoga mat, and asked if they could send me the food to my honeymoon and to have it on my wedding day. And that clearly didn't happen because I'm a real human. And I had my wedding. It was so wonderful, but I was a little bit anxious. I don't like to say this to my husband now because our wedding was amazing. It was such a special time. I was so happy. I was so in love. He's the coolest human being, and he agreed to marry me. All of that is wonderful. But in the back of my mind, there was this fear of this like demon organization that was going to get me when I got home. We had the best honeymoon. We had like everything you'd want. The sex, the drinking, the fresh lobster, Turks and Caicos. It was amazing. And I came back and I gained some delicious five pounds. Now, this is, it's like five pounds. Like I'd been in this, you know, we had done this, we were at day 60 now. So I had done this for 60 days. I'd done plenty of laxatives. I was like, guys, I, I, I can take care of it. We'll be fine. But all of the producers and personal trainers, when I came back and told them that I had gained this weight, were devastated. And they said, Caitlin, we were invested in you. We counted on you. How could you do this to us? And I was like, well, single ladies, <laughs> um, <laughs> I have the love of my life, and I was having way too much fun eating chocolate and banging. <laughs> um, I, didn't, I didn't say that because I'm afraid of people. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and then I cried and called my mom. Um, but I, uh, and then I got these emails of, Caitlin, you know, you only get married once. You don't want to ruin this. These photos will last forever. Don't disappoint Alan. And, oh, you guys, it was rough. It was really rough. And I felt terrible because I, there's part of me that wants to be skinny, but he also loves a huge Jewish ass. <laughs> so I knew that it, w it wasn't for Alan and he didn't really care, but I'd broken so many diets in my life before that I like, I really wanted to stick to this and I didn't want to just make the company think that I was using them for my wedding because I kind of was, but I also like got invested and I really loved all the other people and Clowney and Nikki and everybody. We, we became this team, the few of us that were left. And then all the pressure got to me, and I decided bulimia was the solution. It's not. <laughs> Don't do it. Please call your mom. So I was on the phone with my mom, drunk, and I was like, Mom, it's great. You just take it all up. <laughs> you eat what you want, and then you get rid of it. I wish I could do it every day. And she's like, Kaylin, that's bulimia. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I did a book report on bulimia. Damn it. <sighs> I was I was shocked. I was completely shocked. I was like, I'm not bulimic. I'm just obsessed with this. Um, so I was bulimic and had to sit down and had to talk to my husband, had to talk to my sister and say, guys, I'm failing. I couldn't do what I thought I could do. I don't want to do what I set out to do, and I don't like these people. And they're like, yeah, Katie, we know. They're horrible. We've been waiting for you to quit this whole time, but you've been so stubborn. And I was like, okay. So I emailed them, and I said, I'm so sorry. Thank you for this opportunity, but I'm developed a bulimia, so I need to focus on that <laughs> and take care of myself. Thank you very much. And the first email I get back from the head producer, this little Diet Coke drinking bitch with a shitty dog and probably a cocaine addiction, said, Caitlin, do you think you could just wear a baggy shirt during the day 90 interviews? We really need your story. And I was like, oh. So I said, well, 
that would be lying, considering we've been lying the entire time. I could take this to the FDA and explain it all to them as well. I heard nothing. And I was fumed. I mean, we were lying, guys. We were lying. Don't trust infomercials, okay? Just don't trust them. We were selling a 30-minute workout session. We were all working out for 50 minutes. We were all puking. I mean, it just was tons of lies. So I was like, I can send all of these lies to the FDA. I was proud that I said that and, and set my boundary. But still felt terrible inside. Still felt like they didn't understand and felt that these people would think that I was lying or, or cheating or sneaky and I was a little scared. And then I got an email two weeks later from the head fitness director who said, Caitlin, the title was, your decision was the right one. I'm bulimic too and have been for several years. Good luck with your journey. And I was like, oh my God. So then I went and bought Meaningful Beauty by Cindy Crawford. <laughs> Guys, it's the best. <laughs> Thank you so much. You have no idea the strength that's within you. Faster than traditional cardio, incinerating calories, melting off fat, and sculpting long, lean, sexy muscles fast. I am dying, but man, do I feel good. Me. You get results fast. So easy to use. Quick and focused. It is quick, it is easy, and it's in your own home. Keep burning fat fast. All it takes is 30 minutes a day. You lose weight quicker than you ever thought possible, and you'll keep it off. I am dying, but man, do I feel good. Look at the before and afters. You want to talk about trouble zones? Look at the bellies. Gone. Look at the muffin tops or the saddle bags. Gone. The flabby arm. Gone. Fast. Fast. Stay tuned for details. I lost 45 pounds. I lost 45 pounds. I lost 36 pounds. I lost 75 pounds. Oh my God, seriously? I am dying, but man, do I feel good. You can do it too. is Risk. This is India Reed behind me now, and we just heard from Caitlin Brodnick. Caitlin has a podcast of her own called Scam Wow Podcast. It's a comedy podcast about scams, and you can find out more on Instagram at Scam Wow Podcast. And in between Caitlin Brodnick and India Ari, we heard a little interstitial from our episode editor, Jeff Barr. We also heard that completely bonkers techno version of Carabino's aria from The Marriage of Figaro from a Belgian duo called Adia and Geisha. Now I want to give a little shout out to our latest Patreon member giving us $25 or more per month, and that is Adam Gluck. Thank you so much, Adam. I cannot express how helpful this is. We very much need the support of our listeners, and we dearly appreciate it. And there's always interesting things to find happening over at patreon.com slash risk. For example, the story I told at the beginning of the show, the story about the marriage of Figaro and football, our editor, Hope Brush, did another edit of that story, one which included 
just a little bit of sound design, even though that story was told live in front of an audience. Here's a little bit of how that sounds. So what he would do is he'd have a radio blaring the opera upstairs, then one downstairs, then one in the backyard, and everyone, my mother especially, she'd be like, Paul, it's nice, but turn it down. So if you are a member at patreon.com slash risk, and you liked my Marriage of Figaro and football story, give a listen to that alternate edit and let us know which you liked better, the one we ran today on this version of the podcast or the one over there on Patreon. We're very curious to get people's feedback about some of these editing choices we make along the way. And we always feel like the Patreon community that we have are the more hardcore risk listeners who might really have some helpful feedback to share with us about some of these things. There's over 150 bonus stories on Patreon. There's over 60 check-ins. So there's just a lot to find there. That is at patreon.com risk. And if you want to make a one-time donation, that is at paypal.me slash risk show. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Seed. Probiotics are most effective when they make it to your colon alive. That's why Seed developed a patented two-in-one capsule that safeguards viability of its DSO-1 daily symbiotic through digestion to deliver the maximum dose to your colon. No refrigeration necessary. Visit seed.com slash Spotify and use code SPOTIFY25 to get 25% off your first month. Our final story on this week's episode comes to us from one of our favorite storytellers, David Hu. Now, this story deals with racism against Asian Americans in this country. We're thinking of putting together a compilation or a couple of compilations of stories that Asian Americans have shared on similar thematic ground in the coming weeks to sort of highlight that this is still a big problem that unfortunately keeps rearing its head in the ugliest ways. And this story by David Hu is kind of a reminder that it's nothing new. But as always, such great storytelling. And so without further ado, here is David Hu with a story we call the lifesaver. I'm 14 years old, and I'm walking to school one morning. And out of the blue, I hear someone scream, you fucking chink! Go back to China and eat a bowl of rice. Startled and confused because I don't even like rice. (laughs) And I look around and I see this middle-aged white guy standing on his porch across the street, staring at me and giving me the middle finger. And I wonder, what the hell is his problem? I had to brush it off because I'm late for school. The next morning, on my way to school, 
I see that guy standing on his porch, staring at me like a hawk and giving me the middle finger. And I could feel the adrenaline building up and my hands are clenched like a fist. I try to ignore it. As soon as I walk by his house, all I hear is, you fucking chink, go back to China and eat a bowl of rice. Oh my God, I feel like a moving target for this guy's racist gratification. And every morning for over a week, I can feel the anxiety building up like pins and needles exploding through my veins. My chest feels really tight, like my body is being submerged in water. And walking to school is beginning to suck. It's not because I'm out of shape, it's because this fucking asshole is ruining my day and I just can't take it anymore. And I tell my mom and dad about it one afternoon. I remember the expression on their faces, livid, beat red, obviously pissed off. Mom, who is this guy? I don't know, mom. It's this crazy white guy down the block that's harassing me. My dad, in his broken English, why make trouble? What's his problem? Who is he? I don't know, dad. And both of my parents are, okay, we walk to his house, we tell him stop bothering you. I remember staring outside the window of my house and seeing my mom and dad walk down the street. I felt like I was watching one of those old Western movies and I'm really scared and nervous. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. 30 minutes later, they walk back into the house. And my dad's like, okay, don't bother you anymore. Thank God. The next morning, on my way to school, I don't see that guy standing on his porch. Later that afternoon, on my way back home from school, I walk into my house, and I see my mom standing there and staring at me. She's like, Dad, I need to tell you something. The tone of her voice brought chills down my spine, followed by a long, awkward pause and a deep breath. Okay, David, someone threw a brick through our window and almost hit dad. Luckily, he's okay. After my mom told me that, I felt this bottomless pit in my stomach. Mom, did you call the police? Yeah, yeah, we called the police. Police don't do anything. No witnesses. I thought that was bullshit because someone broke our window in broad daylight. And I was like, dad, what are we going to do about this? Are we going to kick his ass? And my dad said, no, no trouble. Just forget. Pissed off and confused because growing up in a blue-collar white neighborhood like Pelham Parkway in the Bronx, the way everyone solves their problems is through physical violence. I remember when I was 10 years old, sitting on my porch, I see this guy marching down my street with a shovel full of dog shit. He goes up to my neighbor's house and catapults dog shit all over his driveway and porch. He's like, hey, asshole, cut your dog that side like everyone else, you motherfucker. I'm going to take the shovel and shove it up your ass. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, this guy knows how to handle this shit. <laughs> I wish my dad did the same as well. Things got worse after my parents escalated the incident. Others in the neighborhood started to harass me as well. It was like cancer and spreading fast. Call me chink, tell me go back to China where I belong. I remember one afternoon walking down my street and there was a school bus full of white boys from a local Catholic school pull up beside me and they all huddled up against the window of the bus and started screaming at me like wild dogs. Get them, go fuck you up you chink. I would go to your house, break your windows and kill your parents. As soon as that bus took off, my body felt completely numb. All I wanted to do was curl up in the field position to die. I fucking hated living in that neighborhood. And I begged mom and dad to move. But they were like, no, Gong Gong bought this house. Gong Gong wants us to stay. Gong Gong is my grandfather who gave my parents his entire life savings to buy a house that we're in right now because we lived in a small apartment in a really bad neighborhood called Valentine's Avenue in the Bronx. And the only advice my parents had for me was, go the other way, the longer way to school, that is. One afternoon, on my way back home from school, I'm exhausted. And I happen to see Jerry, my neighbor across the street. Jerry is this crazy ex-Vietnam vet. And he's like, hey kid, come here, I got something for you. So I walk across the street, curious, and he hands me a hammer. And he said, hey kid, next time you see that motherfucker, I want you to beat the shit out of him until he dies. <laughs> I'm like, cool, thanks. <laughs> I was hoping for candy, but I'll sell for a hammer instead. <laughs> the next morning, I'm getting ready for school and I find out the other way is under construction. 
And my only alternative option is to walk back to that crazy asshole's house. And I'm scared of shit because I think this guy's going to kill me. So I take the hammer Jerry gave me and I put it in my book bag. <laughs> On my way to school, I can feel the anxiety building up. My heart is pounding out of my chest. You know that feeling that you get when you're on a roller coaster and it's about to hit the climax? As soon as I walk by that guy's house, he's not standing on his porch. I see him walking down the street. So I pull out the hammer out of my book bag and I follow him. As I get closer, he suddenly drops to the ground face first. And I was like, wow, that was easy. And I hear a loud thud. It sounded like a sack of potatoes being dropped from a two-story building. I buckle up and stand there, and he's convulsing like a fish out of water. And I slowly walk up to him. He has his hand on his chest, and his other hand is reaching up towards me. And I just stare at that endless void in his eyes against his pale white complexion. And it brings back a memory of my dad when I was eight years old, living in that small apartment on Valentine's Avenue in the Bronx. I remember I was standing in the kitchen with my mom. It was close to midnight. And I hear someone approach the front door of our apartment and put the key in the lock. But what was odd was it didn't turn. So my mom walks up to the door and looks through the people. And it's my dad. And she's like, Mercy, uh, how come you can't open the door? And I hear footsteps in the background. And they get louder and louder. And suddenly I hear my mom scream, oh my God. And on the other side of the door, I hear someone yell, give me your money. I'll cut your throat, you fucking chink followed by screaming and sounds of fist exploding throughout the hall of the building as my mom stared through that people in fear. The noises were brief. However, the trauma lasted a lifetime after that key turned in the lock. And I see my dad rush into the apartment and slam the door shut. He's trembling, he's out of breath, and he's holding his fist in his hand. And I could see the blood dripping throughout the knuckles of his fingers onto the kitchen floor. It's bright red and glossy. And I stand there and I stare at it. It's a lot to process for an eight-year-old, especially after his bedtime. <laughs> and I hear my mom scream, David, go to sleep, no make trouble. As my mom wrapped my dad's hand up with a kitchen towel, his face is pale and I just stare through that endless void in his eyes. And I realize this piece of shit lay on the ground convulsing like a fish out of water, is going to die. And no one fucking gives a shit about him, except for me. So I walk over to the neighbor's house. I knock on the door. Hey, call the ambulance. This body's about to die. They arrive, and they pick him up. After that incident, I don't see that guy anymore. And a couple weeks later, I walk into school one morning, and I happen to pass by that guy's house. And I see him sitting on his porch, he looks really weak. He's wearing a robe. So what I do is I walk across the street. I'm standing in front of his house. And I smile and I wave at him. And I see him struggle to get out of his chair. And I'm hoping he's going to thank me for saving his life. And maybe we could become friends. And the first thing he says is, you fucking chink, go back to China and eat a bowl of rice. I guess we're not going to be friends. And I continue to smile and walk away because just like any other bully out there, they're scared and insecure and they hide behind their hateful words. Eventually, he died. <laughs> and a Cambodian family moved in. <laughs> and shortly afterwards, a black and Hispanic family moved to the block and my neighborhood became less and less white. Looking back as an adult, I never understood why my parents chose not to fight or flight, because it was obvious our lives were in danger. As members of the Asian community suffered as well, they reacted the same way my parents did growing up in the Bronx. And what I learned is that it's because of Eastern Asian culture. It's all about being part of the community, not the conflict. And that said, being the bigger person it's a lot better way to handle one's shit. Thank you. There's a fight 
to be one for the love you find at home. Work to be done for you rest your weary bones. I'm finding peace don't come to everyone I know. So I will love in this life till I finally have to go. Said I will love in this life till I finally have to go. That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Run River North. Uh, I thought it would be nice to finish up with an Asian American band. And we just heard from David Hu, who you can find on Instagram at DaveHu718. Folks, don't forget that Thursday, April 21st, Risk is back at Caveat in New York City, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. You can get your tickets for the in-person show or the live stream of it at risk-show.com slash tour. Don't forget everything you might want to know about Risk is at our website, risk-show.com. That is where you'll find out how you can pitch us your stories. You can find the tables of contents of all the episodes there. You can find on our storytelling resources page, little videos, very brief little tutorials on tips for great storytelling. And of course, you can find out all you need to know about our live shows and our merchandise at risk-show.com. Follow us on social media as well, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're at Risk Show. And don't forget you can hire me for one-on-one storytelling training over at kevinallison.com. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Growing up, child, is just a matter of time. Giving all you've got, so won't you dance under the sun? Growing old feels like you're giving up your soul. I'd rather give it freely to the ones that I call home. Growing up, child, is just a matter of time. Forgiving all you've got, so won't you dance under the sun? Growing old Feels like you're giving up your soul I'd rather give it freely To the ones that I call home That's not an opera singer That's Baltimore Ravens football player Justin Tucker From his feet to his mouth, clearly this kicker's got talent. This is Tucker singing at the Concert Artists of Baltimore. We all know some football players secretly take ballet, but who knew some had pipes too? You have to wear a fucking hard cup, like a stormtrooper bowl around your tiny little balls? I didn't like it. <laughs>